0: Blessed are the people that know the joyful sound, they shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. We have a tremendous privilege in our day to have good music, good gospel hymns. We have literally thousands of good hymns that we can Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, is that on? Good. We're blessed with hymnals and hymn books that have thousands of hymns that we can sing, and, and we can sing them with a, with a good heart and a free mind that they are sound doctrine. Now, that isn't to say that they shouldn't be reviewed and considered from time to time, whether they be sound doctrine, but it's untainted by the world. And that is one issue that is of such importance in our day, is to separate ourselves from the world. Music and its effect. It is evident that the evangelical church of our day is being affected in a major way by the music that they embrace. It has a major impact on how people view the church, what they believe concerning the place of the church in the life of a believer. But beyond just how it's impacting churches, it's also impacting us as individuals Music affects us on a personal level. It shapes our feelings and then our thinking, and some music even affects us physically. That is the kind that we should, for the most part, avoid. We'll maybe get into that a bit later, but music does affect us very directly. Do you ever notice, if you stop to think or consider how certain songs make you feel, And I'm not suggesting that you should base all your judgment on how it makes you feel. But it is true that music affects our feelings and our moods. Music touches our emotions and for that reason, sometimes makes it difficult to give up music that we ought not to be listening to. We listen to it, it becomes familiar, it does something for us and our feelings get attached to it and then when our conscience tells us we ought not or someone suggests that it's wrong music then ooh, ouch, oh that's my music don't touch my music and we quickly buy into the concept that music is simply a matter of individual taste and choice and that it simply doesn't matter what, um, what others might say or think and that it's, it's just up to me and what I prefer. But music does affect our feelings, our moods. It can be peaceful or it can make us sad. Godly music can lift our spirits and mind to think upon the good things of God. To bring forth from our hearts praise to the Lord for his goodness. Or certain music, on the other hand, can leave us feeling depressed. We are lonely and nobody cares. There are those songs out there that reinforce that notion. It's just poor me and nobody really cares. And here I am. And... We have those feelings, and we listen to that over and over, and it reinforces those notions. These feelings, whatever they be, feed our thoughts, and then our thoughts in turn influence our action and behavior. See, there's a, a chain of events. We feed our feelings, which influences and feeds our thoughts, and that in turn produces action and behavior. Now, there's some—it's there. There's some back and forth in all of that. Um, our thoughts do affect our feelings, and then our feelings our thoughts, and so on. They, it's kind of back and forth, but just. Understand that is the power of music to affect our feelings. And then when we have feelings, it influences thoughts which lead to behavior. The scripture teaches us to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And this would include how we allow or what we allow to influence our feeling and thinking. In other words, that which we feed upon, which we allow our mind to dwell on, must come under this uh, scrutiny. Does it bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ? Music should not be exempt from that um, criteria. Psalm 25.1 says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. What does it mean to lift up your soul? How do you lift up your soul? Well, the thought is, we have responsibility to take our feelings, and I think this term soul has to do with our thoughts and our feelings. We have a responsibility to lift them up unto the Lord, which means we need to set our mind and thoughts on things that are holy things that are true and right about God. And we have a responsibility. We can't just say, well, I'm feeling bad today. Or I'm feeling sad. Well, yeah, there are are plenty of sad things. But at some point, we have choices to make as to where we're going to stay with our feelings. And feeding our thoughts with good things can change our feelings and lift up our soul unto the Lord. Now we talked about the CCM music. I'm going to talk about that a bit more here. David Cloud, who is a... Um, Baptist teacher who studied much about music and speaks out very strongly against wrong forms of music, he gave this list of identifying characteristics of the wrong kind of music that is so popular today. He says it can be identified by its, and he lists these items, unscriptural philosophy, by its sensual rhythms, by its ecumenism. By its charismatic associations, its weak unscriptural message, and its worldliness. I'd referred earlier to Rick Warren and his uh, teaching and so on, and I'd like to read just a little short section further what he says on music and about choosing a style of music. He says the style of music you choose to use in your services will be one of the most critical. And controversial decisions you make in the life of your church. It may also be the most influential factor in determining who your church reaches for Christ. And whether or not your church grows. You must match your music to the kind of people God wants your church to reach. And then he says further... If you were to tell me the kind of music you are currently using in your services, I could describe the kind of people you are reaching without even visiting your church. I could also tell you the kind of people your church will never be able to reach. And I say, oh really? Where is that in the word of God? Where does the word of God ever tell you that The music that you sing will determine who you will or will not reach for the gospel. See, there's a serious fallacy in this whole thought process. God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The apostle Paul, when he went into a new city, didn't start out with a music program. He started out with preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. And they gave powerful witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They gave witness to a changed and transformed life. And that was the message. That was the gospel message. It had nothing to do with entertaining people with certain style of music. In fact, they didn't consider that at all. As to whether or not they could reach people with the gospel. The concept that Rick Warren gives here is that you match... Your music to the kind of people God wants your church to reach. Well, God wants you to reach the unsaved. But don't play their kind of music in an attempt to win them. What you use to win them is what you'll win them to. And if all you're using is their music and you win them to their music, then what have you gained? Nothing. Your converts will have, well, converts, come converted from what where's the conversion where's the sense that we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son where's the difference between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness we don't use the world's methods and music to win souls to Christ it can't be done now you may say well But I hear of people getting saved. Well, but saved to what and how? If there's no transformation from the world, then what have they been saved to? And that really points out, uh, among other things, I guess, but one of the serious issues with what is past is contemporary Christian music today is that it makes no effort to separate from the world. In fact, not only do they take in the world's style of music, they also have no transformed lives to demonstrate or to exhibit. In in the many in many cases, the um, the musicians and their and their company make no effort to separate from the world. They have no testimony of being separated from the world. They have no testimony of being transformed or perhaps just lip service to the idea. But even in their music, the philosophies that come through um, is the philosophy of worldliness. And the whole concept is given that it's okay To be worldly. And you can still go to heaven in the end. Now the scripture is clear that when we have teachers. We should be concerned what their life and character is like. Know them which labor among you. And are over you. The Scripture teaches us to examine their lives. And to follow those who are over you and the... um, Yes, to follow and obey them, which uh, has the idea, the concept of following their lives. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So do we put the musicians that we listen to to that same test? Would we truly want to live lives like they do? Are they separated from the world? Are they holy in their life? Do they embrace a lifestyle separated from the world? Is that what they teach in their music? Well sadly many many times they don't. They may exhibit all kinds of worldly character and you'll find that as time goes on many of these people will They'll be divorced and remarried. They may even come out as being in deviant sexual behaviors, homosexuality, and so on. And You could probably name some songs that you've heard or sung that in the end these folks come out as homosexuals. And then what? Well, I'm going to suggest there are thousands of other hymns that we can use And we don't have to use these, even if they have been familiar and we've gotten used to singing them. We can just put them away. Again, do we want to listen to these voices when their life demonstrates that they are not obedient to Christ? Why would we? Oh, I know the voice, the sound out there is to, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Well, what they sang was true, or the words and the lyrics they gave was true. But you realize that when you embrace what they sing and say and promote them, you're also giving a message of endorsement uh, to a certain extent and may influence others to take in that and more and generally it's more. Let me just um, give you an example. This is something that was uh, a number of years ago already, but it, it points out to A fairly extreme example, perhaps, of what I'm sharing here. But here was an, a statement by Mark Stewart of Audio Adrenaline. Audio Adrenaline was the, uh, was the music group, and Mark Stewart was their, I uh, believe, their lead man or one of the prominent members there. In a, uh, an interview with a newspaper, he said this. These were his words. The only difference between rock and Christian rock is the lyrics. And then the difference is sometimes subtle. At the basic root, there is no difference. Christianity is about rebellion. Jesus Christ is the biggest rebel to ever walk the face of the earth. He was crucified for his rebellion." Rock and roll is about the same thing Rebellion To me rock and the church go hand in hand Wow That is just straight up blasphemy And this is one who claims To be singing the gospel Audio Adrenaline was a very popular group And If you have any of it put it away it is going to destroy your life to listen to blasphemers Jesus Christ was not a rebel in fact the prophet Isaiah very specifically quoted Jesus as saying I was not rebellious and we certainly know that he was in no way a rebel but see these are the kind of concepts they peddle in and they'll drop these terms and phrases and and even blaspheme the name of God with little regard. What he perhaps was trying to infer is that rebellion is okay, because if you believed what he said, you would have to conclude that, well, maybe rebellion is okay, but it's not okay. It's not okay with God. And why would you want to listen to blasphemers like this and allow them to be your teachers? Well, that's probably a fairly extreme example. But just note what he said, a part that we might be able to agree with. He says that um, between rock and Christian rock at the basic root, there's no difference, and that this is... All about rebellion. Well, how then does rebellion make suitable church music? It doesn't. doesn't. Well, Here's another quote. This is from a man who was one of the um, the major contributors to the rock music scene uh, back in the 50s and 60s. A man by the name of Little Richard, he said this, My true belief about rock and roll, and there has been a lot of phrases attributed to me over the years, is this. I believe this kind of music is demonic. A lot of the beats in music today are taken from voodoo, from the voodoo drums. If you study music and rhythms like I have, you'll see that it's true. I believe that kind of music is driving people from Christ. Now, little Richard at one point did make a profession for Christ and then kind of fell back and he was one of those that kind of wavered back and forth on this issue, but he was very popular for his rock music playing. I don't know if you've done any study in the history of rock music, but it traces its origins um, from West Africa, where where it had its voodoo origins, and this is what Little Richard was referring to. After much study, he had uh, even traveled over there, I believe, and other uh, singers who have traveled over there have found that many of the beats and and lyrics and so on, well, not the lyrics, but the the rhythms in in the music that they played came from these voodoo practitioners. Many of those... uh, from that area were taken as slaves then and came to the Caribbean Haiti and the southern United States Louisiana and so on and they brought their music and their drums with them and then that in turn uh, became popular in the 1950s and so on with um, rhythm and blues and, and uh, some jazz music and so on so there's a lot of music streams that came together but today some of this rock music has the same rhythms and and uh, beats that the voodoo and West African music um, gave them. Now I've heard uh, first hand accounts of missionaries in Ghana who uh, the one man said that he had a an adopted daughter I think there that um, at about age 12 or 14 I'm not sure how old it was don't recall the exact details but uh, went to one of these um, funerals and came home demon possessed because of the rituals and the music and of course this kind of music is incorporated in all that because they have a very direct connection with, with the demonic world. And so those are some of the roots and origins of rock music and it carries through to today. These things should never be found in the church of God. But sadly, there is little regard for its roots or its nature, and many people are are, um, are caught in it, caught up in it. There was a man named Elvis Presley, who was known eventually as the King of Rock and Roll. In his younger years, especially in his adolescent and teen years, he was a great fan of southern gospel music. He would go to the all-night quartet sings and hang around and even audition for one of them. Didn't make the grade uh, for their, and wasn't involved or included in their quartet, but he began his own music career and eventually was at the very forefront and, and part of the birth of the rock and roll movement and eventually gained the uh, title of king of rock and roll, became very popular almost to a cult following. Uh, so if you think that southern gospel is feeding your soul and will lead you in the right direction, why did it fail for Elvis Presley? Well, there's a reason. It doesn't lead you to paths of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, it's true that every man makes his own decisions and own choices, but there are cause and effect that we should take seriously. There's, you could scarcely claim that southern gospel would take you down those paths of righteousness when it's so evident that it doesn't work that well in fact, may take you another direction. It was said that when he first began his music career, this was Elvis Presley, he was on a, a, a televised show. This would have been in the very early years, but because his um, because his singing and show was so sensual, he would, they were not allowed on TV to show him from only from the waist upward they didn't allow him to do um, for it to be seen on public TV. This was not some Christian standard this was the nation's morals that said he should not be um, You can only be viewed from the waist up in his performance. Well, fast forward these many years and you now have on church stages. And I did a little research. Don't recommend necessarily you watch what I did, but I looked at a few video, video clips from this Saddleback Church, this Rick Warren's church that I have quoted from several times. And The things they showed on stage there was certainly not any worse than what was cut from the script when Elvis Presley, I mean, no better. It was just as bad, and here it is in a church, supposedly, and so the church now openly accepts what the world once said was wrong. Isn't that amazing? I talked about the morals that are debased by rock music. Here's a quote from Alan Bloom. He was a professor who wrote the book, The Closing of the American Mind. It was published back in 1987. Not a Christian, not writing from any Christian perspective, but just observing society, he said, this about rock music he said rock music has one appeal only a barbaric appeal to sexual desire not love not eros but sexual desire undeveloped and untutored rock gives children on a silver platter with all the public authority of the entertainment industry everything their parents always used to tell them they had to wait for until they grew up and would understand later And again we ask the question, why would that ever be suitable in a Christian setting? Well the answer is it's not. It never has been. So these, these values and, and the world's influence has crept in Or been adopted wholesale by the CCM crowd. The question is, are we willing to separate ourselves entirely from that corrupting influence? Are we willing to even lay aside all of the music and all of the songs written by these people who drink deeply from this fountain? If the fountain be corrupt, how can that which flows from it be sweet? And many of these writers and musicians will openly admit that they uh, listen to the world's music and maybe they play what they call Christian music, but they themselves have been influenced directly and heavily by the world's Music, its lyrics, and its attitudes. As we make discernment about music, I would liken it to a... If you want to put it on a scale or a continuum from one side where you have something very evil... All the way over here to something that's very good. And over here we would all agree this is evil over here at this end. And over here at this end is is righteous. Well there you can find a, a slice and flavor anywhere on this line. That is somewhere in this scale from full blown evil over here to righteousness. And what I have thought and said many times is that the we have to draw a line somewhere. And I think we'd all agree that we'll need to draw a line. We don't want to do this over here, but this over here is acceptable to all. So where are you going to draw the line? And, well, what is it that judges where we draw the line? If I stand up here and draw the line and say... Well, this is, the, this is, you know, on this side it's righteous, and on this side it's evil. Well, the first question that always comes, well, what about the one that's here? You said this one was okay, but this one isn't, and it's only that far away. Well, I just acknowledge that's reality. It's hard to make just a very definite line and say in every respect this is fine in every respect this is wrong because the conflict or the questions always come out the line what I'd like to challenge you today is what by what standard are you judging your music what is it that dictates or does or or tells you that one thing is fine and the other isn't and you will find many voices and many people out there saying that some of these things are fine when they're not make sure that what you have is a biblical definition of good and right music and I will also say there are many times that we make arbitrary choices and by arbitrary I mean that we can look at one song perhaps it was written by someone whose life and conduct we would not want to copy but the song they wrote maybe was mostly even biblical words maybe even straight up scripture maybe the music they put it to we would not, well, we might be okay with it, we might not, or whatever, but so we'll not put their music to it, but we'll sing it our way. Or we'll sing it a cappella. So, is that wrong? And I've had those questions, you maybe have those questions. Is that, is that acceptable or isn't it? Well, I would say, do we need it? my answer is probably not think about these 3,000 other hymns that we can sing that are not questionable from their origin or the author's character in life now I'll I'll admit not all of those 3,000 hymns plus do we know all the details of the author's life but we can certainly judge their uh, the content of this hymn To see whether it be sound doctrine. But even though this particular piece of music might be mostly scripture, if you sing it, others may be encouraged to follow this particular author into other areas that would be of questionable nature. And again, maybe it's not evil to sing this song. But I question how profitable it will be in the long run. We have to think more than just this particular issue. You remember the example I gave of uh, the neighbor lady who came and plucked the weeds out of the ditch. She was concerned about the hay crop, not about the condition of the ditch. And many would look at what she did and think, ooh, that's really extreme. They'll say the same thing if you reject a certain piece of music because... You object to the author. Ooh, that's extreme. Well, we're not necessarily saying that this particular piece is evil. But where is it going to take you? Where is it going to lead you? And where are you going to draw the line? Why not just put away what's questionable? And let's drink from the fountain that we can feel confident is safe. there was some question about classical music. What do I think about classical music? Well, I'm not sure if I have a definitive answer, but I'll give you some things to think about. On the one hand, there are some aspects of classical music that can be profitable. In other words, there are studies have been done that classical music can actually improve brain function and and um, comprehension and there's a there's a reason for that it's because for the most part classical music has a um, has patterns and and a style of music that is orderly and it's uh, it's conducive to clear and logical thinking it It actually can stimulate uh, good thinking. It can actually affect you on a physiological level. In that sense, I don't think it's evil. Okay, But if it's strictly a physiological effect, how profitable is it spiritually? We need to weigh that too and then also consider the amount and and the whole uh, scope of it. I'm not suggesting that you would be profited by a a regular and continual listening to classical music. There are some pieces of music that probably don't have that good an effect. Even if it's called classical, um, it can put moods and feelings and thoughts in your mind that are not profitable. However, I would not in any way place it in the same category as rock music in the sense that it produces uh, the evil uh, influences that rock music does. So what is my conclusion? My conclusion is use it with care and use it discerningly and use it in, a, uh, in balance We could have a whole session probably in trying to define the finer points of that. But I'm just simply saying, don't accept it just because, oh, classical is good. No, you need to be more discerning than that. Also be aware that the amount that you allow yourself to, to do is, is significant. You, you can't just freely let yourself uh, go in classical music. a little conflicted in my mind what all to focus on here. There are so much that one could cover. And I know that I won't nearly answer all of your questions. Um, even in this study today, it seems like it would be profitable to spend a whole week on this subject. And I don't want to just be entirely negative but I do want to give you some tools and some warning that not all that sounds good and not all the claims and the uh, promotion of what goes as Christian music is, is safe or acceptable. We should be discerning and we should use the judgment that the Lord gave us from the scriptures. I'd like to just quickly hear Reiterate the characteristics of godly music. Singing should be an expression of praise to the Lord. There should be teaching and admonishing in the songs. The message should be clear and easy to understand. Our spirit and mind should be engaged and not bypassed. And lastly, our music should be holy and unspotted by the world. Does your music pass the test? Are there other tests that we should put it to? Well, don't buy into the idea that music is neutral. And I think I've made that clear enough. But all music has a message. Don't underestimate the power that music has to affect and influence us and make sure that what we are feeding into our ears is sound. The Greek philosopher Plato has often been quoted on this matter. He said, give me the songs of a nation and it doesn't matter who writes its laws. And I thought, well, a modern application of that might be that Give me the songs of a church, and it doesn't matter who writes um, or preaches the doctrine. Now, that maybe could be qualified, but the point would be that sound doctrine could be completely undermined and even overthrown in the minds and hearts of people who give themselves over to music that teaches them something different. So just be aware. Music is always an expression of man. Music is not just neutral in its composition. Music is an expression of man that issues out of the heart. And when you have a good heart, and from a good heart, good flows out. But from an evil heart and a wicked heart, Jesus made it clear that it is from the heart that these things issue. And so music is a composition that, be, that carries a message. I'm not sure if I've covered all the I know I haven't covered all the questions. I did ask a little bit what some of the questions were that came up in, in the discussion groups. The one about classical music was one of those. But in closing, I know there may be very likely some of you sitting here who have Very different views of music. Perhaps you've even already from the beginning tuned out in your heart and mind this whole notion. Perhaps you've bought into the lie that uh, any of this music is acceptable. I have my music. I like my music. I can keep my music and I can still be a Christian. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray by cunningly devised fables or by nice-sounding words. Music will affect you profoundly. The things that you allow and feed into your senses and into your ears is going to determine what kind of a person you are. It's going to determine your feelings and your thoughts, and it's going to determine ultimately your behaviors. You will make choices in life and the music that you choose to listen to is going to affect many other choices. It's going to influence your thoughts and eventually your actions. It is not a neutral thing and therefore it is so important for it to be God-honoring music. First of all, it should be that which springs from your own heart and your own mouth giving thanks and praise to the Lord. Don't just listen to canned music all day long. It won't come out well. Even the profitable music, if you listen to it all day long, while it won't have its necessarily wrong effects other than it, is, it simply eventually becomes a noise that dulls your own thinking in your own mind and doesn't give you the space needed to think deeply as you ought to. Some of you may need to find the delete button on your device and get rid of some of the music you have. If it's taking you away from God, and doesn't conform to the principles of godly music, just find that delete button and purge it out of your life. God hath put a new song in our heart, and that new song should include a purging out of all the old and the dross and the world and, and its, uh, its voices. That's part of having a new song. And that, of course, embodies far more than just music, but the new song represents a changed heart and a changed life, one that's willing to separate from the world. So may God bless you with that that, uh, encouragement, admonition. I know there's much more that could be said, but my heart is that you take what you heard here and consider it deeply And if your music is not conformed to God's principles, then find that delete button, purge it out of your life, and embrace what is good. May God bless you.